Thursday, Chaf Iyar, Lamed Hei Ba'omer. And this is KMTT, and this is Ezra Beck. And today's Shiur on KMTT is a Shiur in Parshat HaShavua, which will be given by Harav Shlomodov Rosen. After the Shiur, we'll be back with the Halacha Yomit. This week, we read two Parshiot. Parshat Bahar, Bahar Sinai, and Parshat Bukhukotai. Often when we read two Parshiot, we can ask ourselves what the relationship is between the first Parsha and the second Parsha, if it's just because w- the two Parshiot were small and we needed a bit of space that we uh, put the two together, or whether there is a particular reason why Chazal connected these two, not just because they were shorter than the others. A similar question we can ask two weeks ago when we read Acharemot and Kedoshim. Everyone can see that there's a connection between Acharemot and Kedoshim. This is made very clear in that both Acharemot and Kedoshim speak explicitly about the forbidden marriages or forbidden relationships and the fact that the list comes both in Acharemot and in Kedoshim with much discussion of the Kedusha of the Jewish people in between and various psukim talking about the relationship of that kedusha with the way we behave in uh, our relationships, we come to the conclusion quite naturally that there is a connection between these two parshiot. A similar connection we would look for in the two parshiot we read this week, Bahar and Bechukotai. Now Rashi, Ibn Ezra and Ramban all understand that this is all Bahar and Bechukotai together, is all one covenant uh, that the uh, Jewish people had with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. the Ibn Ezra develops this and the Ramban develops it slightly further. The idea being that there's a relationship between the mitzvot of living in Israel, which are explained in Bahar, they are brought out very clearly, the one place in the Torah where it's explained properly is in Bahar, and Bukhukotai, when we are told that we will be thrown out of the land of Israel, because of not keeping these mitzvot. However, the point that it is because we don't keep these mitzvot is only intimated and not explained, and we will get to that point. And we still ask ourselves, if there really is a connection between these two parshiot, why is it not that explicit? So the connection is simply that we are told explicitly in Bechukotai that because we were thrown out of the... because we did not keep the mitzvot that we had to keep in relationship to the land we lost our right to stay in the land. The Pasuk, which explains it most explicitly in Pashat Bukhukotai, is Perkavav Pasuk Mem Gimel. Va'aretz te'azev mehem v'tiretzet shabtoteha bo'shama mehem v'hem yirtzu et avonam ya'an uv'ya'an b'mishpatai ma'asu v'etchukotai ga'ala nafsham. The land will then be able to keep its Shabbatot, its Shemitot, when we are no longer in it. In other words, it is because we did not keep these Shabbatot, these Shemitot, the years when we must leave the land fallow in order to serve HaKadosh Baruch and come close to him and maybe equalize society somewhat. Therefore, we are thrown out of the land and the land then will be left alone. Or earlier in the same parak, Lamedalit, as tirtzeh haaretz shabtotoa kol yomei hashama, 
ואתם בארץ אויביכם, אז תשבת הארץ ברצת את שבתותיה, כל ימי השמה תשבות, את אשר לא שבתה בשבתותיכם, בשבתיכם עליה. All those years that did not stay fallow when we were in the land. Obviously, this makes a very strong connection between Parshat Bahar, when the Lahilchot Shemitah are explained to us, the one place in the Torah when they are brought out very explicitly, and Parshat Bukhokotai. Now, the structural connection is quite natural that both Bahar and Bukhokotai speak about these ideas, this covenant, these mitzvot, coming from Har Sinai, and it gives you the impression that there is a particular connection with these two parshiot to Har Sinai. Perhaps these two parshiot were said explicitly at Har Sinai, all their particulars. And that's how the Rishonim explain it in one way or another. These are not the only cases of parshiot which are said at Har Sinai, but uh, these parshiot are made very explicit um, to be connected to Har Sinai. Now, in asking ourselves the relationship between Parshat Bahar and Parshat Bukhokotai, we must ask ourselves a similar question to do with the relationship of the normative and the apocalyptic. That is to say that Parshat Bukhokotai speaks about Galut and Gula, exile and redemption. Exile and redemption, always from a particular geographical point back to the same geographical point. It is not contextualized historically, but speaks about an open historical possibility, which actually in the Jewish history had happened twice, that we left the land and we came back. Now we are told it's because of our sins, and we understand, as I mentioned just earlier, it's intimated that the sin is very likely to be connected to our behavior in the land in relationship to the land, or in relationship to the social structure that should be developed in the land. And then we ask ourselves why it is not made explicit in Parshat B'chukotai, and even more so why in Parshat Bahar is no mention of the idea of Kalut and Geula, of the land, of the people, mentioned at all. In order to ask ourselves such a question, in order to deal with it, we must deal with this question in a more philosophical approach. That is to say, ask ourselves the question of the relationship between normative mitzvot and the way they play their role in the apocalyptic cosmic events of Galut and Gula, of exile and redemption. Is there a relationship between the particular nature and the way that particular nature will be explained in the direct normative manner of teaching us how to keep the mitzvot and their major role in the spiritual history of the Jewish people? One way of dealing with such an issue is to look at a Jewish thinker in the Middle Ages who developed both, and that is the Ramban. Now, the Ramban is very important for modern Zionist thought because he both developed the importance of the mitzvah of Yishuv Eretz Yisrael, of Kibush and Yishuv, of conquering and living in the land of Israel, as a mitzvah which is obligatory on every Jew at every point in history to the best of his ability. And he is also the person who develops very much the idea of Galut and Gula, of the importance of Mashiach coming in a very physical way, etc. In other words, it being something which can be explained in our terms and we can relate to in the sense of maybe trying to bring the, um, the cosmic, the apocalyptic um, stage of history closer. And we ask ourselves quite naturally if there is a relationship between these two points. Both of these two points play themselves out nowadays in modern Jewish thought quite a bit. 
and we ask ourselves, is there a relationship? Or perhaps we should completely separate the normative from the dreamlike, apocalyptic, hopeful ideas that somehow what we do in the physical arena could actually help Jewish history move forward. So if you would like to deal with that idea, we should take a look at the two different works, two or three different works, where the Ramban develops these ideas, and ask ourselves if there is a relationship in the Ramban's work. The Rambam, not the Ramban, the Rambam did not uh, enumerate the mitzvah of Yeshuvah as Yisrael, of conquering and living in the land of Israel, as a mitzvah in any explicit manner, and there's a lot of discussion about that. However, the Ramban, in his commentary on the Rambam, argues with this point and claims that there is such a mitzvah. Mitzvah Rvi'it, Shenitztavinu lareshet ha'aretz ashenatan hakel itbarach v'yitalel avoteinu l'avram v'yitzchak u'liyakov, v'lo nazva biyad zulatinu min ha'amot o l'shmama. The Ramban might sound very dated, in almost sounding like a crusade. He speaks that the, about a mitzvah at every point in history, not to let other peoples be in the land of Israel, but to go and conquer it, and to live in it. However, of course, he means not to be dated at all. He means to talk about an eternal mitzvah, which applied in the time of Yeshua Abinun, and applies today, and has applied throughout Jewish history, even when we were in control of the land, to live in it, and to take care of it, and to make it our home. And this point is brought out very clearly later on in the same Ramban. That is talking all the time about the mitzvah of Yishuv Eretzisel. In other words, he understands that the mitzvah of Yishuv Eretzisel is an incredibly important mitzvah. Nothing to do with whether there is a necessary crusade of the Middle Ages because at that point of time we're not in control. Even when we are in control of the land, the mitzvah of Yishuv Eretzisel is a main, major uh, mitzvah in the Torah. And of course, the relationship between kibush and yeshuv, between conquering and living, whether it's part of the same mitzvah or not, you'll get to, is um, is a point which um, has received a lot of uh, a lot of attention, and uh, I hope to uh, touch upon it a little later. So what we see here is a mitzvah which is a completely normative mitzvah, it has nothing to do with any particular historical moment. Quite the opposite, nitzdavinu b'chol irrelevant of whether we happen to be in control of the land or not. We have the mitzvah of living in it, of making it our home. This mitzvah has nothing to do with any possibility of Jewish history, and actually, by definition, it could not. Because every mitzvah, by definition, must be eternal. That is to say that although you might have fulfilled it to its complete possibility, like Shivat Amim or Amalek, still, it has the potential, in theory, to be a mitzvah in every single generation. And so, by definition, a mitzvah is of the nature of of being eternal and not being historically contextualized. And if so, it wouldn't be possible perhaps for the Ramban to speak about the cosmic or about the historical in this description. It is a very legal, um, almost eternal um, portrayal of a normative command. Okay, now let's take a look at what the Ramban says elsewhere. In Sefer Agula, and uh, I'll make quotes from uh, the book of Rav Shovel, who brought it out, this is on page Reish Sadi Aleph, the Ramban develops a very mystical approach, a mystical approach which comes from Sefer Hechalot Rabati, the idea of a distinction between Mashiach ben Ephraim and Mashiach ben David. In other words, that there will be two stages, either people or stages. Mashiach ben David is certainly a person, Mashiach ben Ephraim it is left slightly open. Two stages of Jewish redemption, redemption of the Jewish people. The first is a very physical one, connected to Ephraim. 
the idea that Mashiach ben Ephraim would be killed, that things won't be so easy at the immediate stage of physical redemption, and then a deeper and more spiritual version which will come later on, which will be Mashiach ben David, which is the normal sense of Mashiach, in the sense of bringing back Shekhinah, and bringing back Nevu'ah, and that um, we will have the complete world of Geula in the spiritual sense. This idea, of course, the Ramban didn't create, but he developed somewhat. And this idea, of course, has found uh, great uh, interest and attention in uh, um, present time, but particularly from the time of the Gro in Kolator, towards the beginning, who understands the Gro, or at least in the name of the Gro, it is understood in the first chapter of Kolator, the first few pieces, that Mashiach bin Ephraim is a generation. It is a a few generations. It's an epoch, a time in Jewish history when there is a physical revival which says something spiritual but actually is very physical that precedes the bringing back of Shekhinah, the bringing back of all the spiritual parts of redemption. This idea, of course, is developed by, Ram, by Rav Kook quite naturally and is part of the specific mystical Kabbalistic tradition. Now, the Ramban develops this idea elsewhere an interesting way of approaching the idea and appreciating it is to see how the same idea receives two expressions in two different works. So, the Ramban at the end of Sefer Dvar, uh, at the end of um, towards the end of Sefer Dvarim, at the end of Pashat Hazinu, argues that the Nevuah of Hazinu, the prophecy of Hazinu, is not something that happened in the second Beis Hamikdash, but it's something which will happen in the future of the Jewish people. The argument of the Ramban is that it cannot be that the prophecy of Hazinu related to the second Beit HaMikdash, because in the second Beit HaMikdash, the physical, the political position of the Jewish people was not one of complete redemption. That is to say, that complete physical redemption shows that the proper gula, the gula shlema, as he says earlier in Sefer Gula, gula atida, gula ki gula shlema. Gula from Bavel in the second Beit HaMikdash is not a complete gula. The complete gula is connected to complete physical revival of the Jewish people in the political aspect. However, the exact same point, almost word for word, is brought in Sefer Gula with an addition. On pages Reish Samech Dalet to Reish Samech, Hei v'zot nevoat hida, ki lo ra'inu anshei bayit shini shaninu otam goyim. Rak lo agu alem b'chol minei bizoi v'achlama. Etc, etc, etc. V'lo yishiv lo kei nekamtsav v'zman ahu v'lo kipad matamu. Up to here, word for word, from the end of Parshat Hazinu. And then he adds, Ki lo sharta shechina imahem b'bayit shini. In other words, the reason why complete political and physical redemption did not come to fruition is because of a lack in the spiritual. That is to say, the initial stage of Gula is physical. The complete physical redemption depends upon a spiritual renaissance that comes basically from above because of our behavior, presumably. In other words, the Mashiach ben David, the spiritual stage of Gula, 
also comes to fill in the physical. This gives you the impression, which very much is the impression of these mystical structures, that the physical is always expressing the spiritual, even in its initial stages when you cannot see the spiritual revival. The physical is expressing the spiritual, the physical is infused with spirituality. And that idea of the physical expressing the spiritual, of understanding the spiritual by looking at the physical reality, we can see in the Ramban in two other places. Firstly, the whole idea that is very, very famous, the Ramban's argument with Ibn Ezra as to whether it's possible that Yitzchak Avinu and Yaakov Avinu were poor, had very little money, were not considered important politically or in any social sense in their own generation. And this is an argument that the Ramban argues against. That's the Ibn Ezra's argument. The Ibn Ezra actually was poor himself. The Ramban says that it's not impossible. That's not possible. A great person like Yitzchak Avinu could not possibly be unsu- unsuccessful financially and physically. Obviously, that does not mean that tzaddikim are always successful. But somebody on the level of Yitzchak Avinu, the Ramban could not imagine as unsuccessful. How is this possible? Because the Ramban is working with a spiritual structure by which he understands that by definition, physicality expresses spirituality and physicality is infused with spirituality. And this idea, as I said, there's another place, the other place um, where this idea comes in great, um, great importance is the argument between the Rambam and the Ramban brought out in the Ramban's Shara Gmul at the end of Torah Adam about, in a more cosmic work, talking about not just Mashiach, but Olam Abba, about the question of whether Olam Abba is physical or spiritual. Everybody knows that the Rambam holds that Olam Abba is only spiritual. There will be a physical Tchayat but then we will go to Olam Abba. The aim and destiny of every human being is pure spirituality according to the Rambam. However, the Ramban disagrees and argues very, very assertively that the final destination, the eternal state of humanity is physical, eternal physicality infused with spirituality. And actually the argument uh, which is connected very much to understanding of science, whether that is possible uh, in physical terms, of course not a problem because it can be miraculous, but whether that's possible is actually turned full circle because in the Middle Ages it was considered impossible for matter uh, not to decompose and nowadays we know that it is possible for matter not to decompose long term and some people claim that old age is purely a sickness and therefore the possibility according to modern science actually pushes more on the direction of the Ramban than uh, in the Middle Ages it was possible to expect. The idea of the Ramban is that, this is brought out in Shara Gmul Amud Shinvar, that the final state of humanity is a physical one infused with spirituality. That is certainly how the Ramchal took it at the beginning of Der Hashem, that it is a zikuch of the Chomer. It is a purification of physicality, but it is a physical existence. This is possible because the Ramban is opposed to the Rambam. It's not a rational philosopher, but working within a mystical system by which spiritual meaning is given to physical moments, physical developments, and physical bodies. The physical is infused with spirituality. It can be positive. It is not necessarily positive, but it can be. And therefore, when we see a physical development which we see as positive, we may assume and expect it to be somehow related to a spiritual development. If we now return to our Pasha and ask ourselves what the relationship is between Pashat Baha'i and Pashat Bukhukotai, we will notice that it is very much easier in to understand this in relationship to the Ramban.
What we notice is that the Ramban in Sefer Agula does not mention the mitzvah of Yishuv Eretz Yisrael. He does not talk about the normative command to live in the land of Israel. And obviously there does not need to be any connection at all. If you have a, an explanation of cosmic and apocalyptic events which is connected to a physical initial stage, that does not mean that there is a mitzvah to bring about that initial stage. And, as we have mentioned earlier, the Ramban, when he speaks about the mitzvah of Yeshuv Eretz Yisrael, of living in the land of Israel, conquering and living in it, he does not talk at all about the possible cosmic meaning of such a mitzvah in Jewish history, over many, many generations. However, anybody can look at it and notice, quite naturally, that it is not in ch- a chance occasion that the Ramban should say that there's a mitzvah of Yeshuv Eretz Yisrael in a physical sense in every generation, and that the initial stages of Gula will be physical, the idea of Mashiach ben Ephraim, the way at least the, the Groen of Kuk take it as a, as a stage in Jewish history, a physical initial stage which expresses the spiritual but brings to fruition in a high level of spirituality afterwards. It's only natural that the Ramban should have understood in both cases that physicality is meaningful in bringing about spiritual events. That's clearly what he's saying in both. Nobody can possibly disconnect these two points. They are naturally brought together. And that is why, sociologically, whether it's correct or incorrect, in many communities, these two ideas are brought together, whether it's right or wrong in our generation. That is to say, it is natural that if you understand that physicality expresses spirituality, that an initial stage of spiritual redemption will be a physical redemption, it is only natural that you should believe that there is in every generation a command, in the normative sense, to go and live in the land. When somebody says this, it's only natural to assume he will also say that the, the cosmic, the apocalyptic stage of bringing Jewish history to its destiny in a redemptive process will happen through individuals coming and keeping that mitzvah of going and living in the land. It is only natural. But he is very, very careful not to speak about one, in about either in the other work. In other words, when he speaks about the normative, he does not make mention of the apocalyptic. And when he speaks about the apocalyptic, he does not make mention of the normative. And it's quite natural. These are distinct aspects of Gula. These are distinct aspects in Jewish experience. The normative has nothing to do with any historical program or situation. We could have never gone into Galut. It could only be um, a threat that perhaps our good behavior would have kept off of us. But still, the idea of the Mitzvah of Yishuvah Yisrael would of course be a Mitzvah. And quite naturally, the other way around as well. Even if there wasn't a Mitzvah of Yishuvah Yisrael, I don't think the Ramban would give up on his apocalyptic picture. Now, if we look at our Pasha, we see something very, very similar. Parshat Bahar talks about the normative commands of Yishuv Eretz Yisrael. He doesn't speak about the mitzvah to live in the land of Israel, but rather how to live in the land of Israel. To live it fallow every seventh year. To equalize society. To return all land to its original owners after 50 years. To free slaves. Particular behavior which is connected to the land and the social structure in the land. Not one word is made of Galut and Gula, although the word Gula in relationship to the land, the word which means redemption, but used in relationship to the land, is brought up again and again and perhaps is trying to hint something to us, but no more. In Parshat Bukhukotai, 
No direct reference is made to the idea of normative mitzvot, but only the references we made before. It is intimated in more than one place towards the end that it is because we did not keep the mitzvot relating to the land that we are thrown out of the land. And presumably, we will be brought back on the hope that we will keep them, or perhaps through keeping them. This reminds us, a point I wanted to allude to earlier, that the Ramban in Sefer HaMitzvot speaks about kibush and yishuv, conquering and living. And there's a question of the relationship, perhaps the conquering is a way of alluding to Mashiach ben Ephraim. In other words, the physical initial stage of Gula, which comes at a time of, of cosmic conflict, time of major problems in the world, when you have to struggle to be able to live in the land. And the next stage is Yishuv, which is connected to every period in history and has nothing to do with a problematic situation in the land. Similarly, we are, receive an intimation in Pashat Bukhukotai that it is because of not keeping the normative that the apocalyptic picture comes out in one way or another. So, if we now bring this down to earth in a very explicit sense, we see that Pashat Bahar speaks about mitzvot. Mitzvot in the legal sphere, which are eternal, are to do with our normal way of living our lives. Pashat Bukhukotai talks about, tells us about Jewish exile and Jewish redemption. We understand that it's because of our behavior. We understand that we leave a land and we return to that land, but no explicit, re- explicit reference is made to the nature of that land, to what exactly it means to have left that land. It is not dated in any particular historical point, moment. It doesn't even ever have to happen on a certain level. It is simply a threat, although we know that it has happened twice. We are led to understand that there is a relationship between the normative and the cosmic. But no explicit reference can ever be made because these two stages are distinct and it is necessary to keep them distinct. The normative has nothing to do with any particular historical moment. It is a command upon every one of us, the way we must live our life. And we hope never to be exiled from the land. We hope always to be able to live in Israel as a healthy nation. When we talk about Jewish history and Jewish destiny in Pashat Bukhukotai, about exile and redemption, the ideas of commandments to live in Israel or to live in Israel in the proper way are intimated but not made explicit. These are cosmic, apocalyptic descriptions that don't necessarily contextualize in any particular command, cannot be brought only into a particular command. They are general philosophical ideas about how Gula can come from Galut. We are to understand there is a relationship, that there is a connection between the two in the same way that there is a connection between the two in the case of the Ramban. That is to say that we are to understand that physical redemption and spiritual redemption are connected. That it is because of doing our best in the physical realm that spiritual redemption comes. That physical redemption expresses a spiritual meaning, a spiritual moment. And the bringing back of Shekhinah will come through our attempts in the physical realm to serve God. 
The apocalyptic picture must always be brought separately to the normative. Our responsibility is in the normative. We must always have the cosmic ideas, the big abstract ideas in the back of our mind. Understanding how physicality relates to spirituality, what this means for Jewish redemption, what this means for our, our obligation to function in the real world, must always be at the back of our minds. But when we keep mitzvot, we keep them in the normative realm. We keep them knowing that these are eternal ideas that have nothing to do with any Jewish moment in history. They are to do with our relationship to God, our relationship to our fellow man, in how we must behave ethically and religiously in the land of Israel, irrelevant of any particular historical moment. Shabbat Shalom. You have been listening to Rav Shlomo Dov Rosein, Parshat HaShavua for Parshat Bahar Bechukotai. Lalachai Yomit, we've reached the three steps taking back after Shmonesrei. The Shulchan Aruch Paskins, that these three steps, the first step should be taken with your left foot, then a step with your right foot, then your left foot uh, evens out together with your right foot. That's how it's passed in the Shulchan Aruch. The size, the how, how big a step does one take? There's a famous tshuva of the Rashba that he says, I don't know. There is no place that the Rashba found a makor, a source, for how large or small a step one, one should take. However, in uh, other poskim, the Ochat Chaim, and apparently in Rav Haigam, the shiur, the length of the step is given as agudal liyad cave. That means, when you step back, your toe of the foot that's going back, is next to your heel of the other foot. A relatively small step. This shiur comes from the Beit HaMikdash. In the Beit HaMikdash, Kohanim, this is how Kohanim were, would walk in the Beit HaMikdash, eh, Agudal, Liyad, Akev. And the idea being, an idea which is found in the Torah in a number of contexts in Shemun Esrei, that person who is davening Shemun Esrei is like a Kohen in the Beit HaMikdash. This doesn't have a source in the, in the, in, in the Gemara. However, this idea uh, floats around in the Rishonim that a person davening, it's avodat Hashem, avodat shebalev, the service in the heart, which is parallel to the service in your hands, namely the avodat Beit HaMikdash. So someone who's davening is, in his own private way, a Kohen in the Beit HaMikdash, in the presence of God. And therefore, there are a number of halachot which are basically invented. They don't have a source in Shas. Uh, that are found in the Poskim, many of them quoted in the Torah or the Beit Yosef, which parallel, to some extent, one extent or another, uh, a person davening with the Beit HaMikdash. And from this, the Halakha is brought down in the Shulchan Aruch, that one should step at least, this is what the Mechaber says, at least, Agudal Yadakev, the Ramah says, and you shouldn't do more, you should try not to do more. Now, what the Ramah is saying is that you should do exactly like a Kohen. In the Mechaber it says, at least. Uh, but that's basically how, uh, how one should do it. If one doesn't even have that much space, so there are many postcards who say it's not good. You, you, you have to find that much space. But uh, the effort, if you're stuck, you're unsure, it's very, very crowded, there is no way to do it, so then one takes uh, uh, smaller steps. But ideally, one should dab it in a place where the step would be at least Agudal Bitzadakev. And ideally, you don't take a, a larger steps. Psiagasa, uh, a large uh, stride, is considered to be a negative thing. It's, it's, it's chutzpah, you're running away from God. And therefore, the proper way to work is the small steps, agudal b'tzad akev. There's another halacha that one may not take 
the three steps back if one will enter the Daladamot, the, the two meter area of someone else who's in the middle of davening. So if you finish before the person behind you and you're not uh, more than two meters away from him, you do not take the three steps at all. You can stay where you are, you can, you can answer Kedusha there and when he, when there's room, when he finishes, at the end of davening, at the end of Chazarat Hashatz perhaps, uh, you can take the three steps then. But it's better not to take the three steps at all than to take steps which are less than the shoe of Agudal B'Tzadakev. Wait till later on and take and take the steps then. You have been listening to KMTT, our Thursday Pashat HaShavua program. And this is Ezra Bek. Tomorrow I'll be back with the Erev Shabbat program for Pashat Bahavachukotai. And until then, kol tov, v'berkat ha-Torah mitzion u-me-etzion. This has been KMTT, the Torah podcast broadcast of Yeshivat HaRetzion. Ki mitzion te Torah u-dvar Hashem Yerushalayim.